0: Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who keeps this
1: show going with their support. That includes our academics on the Bestseller Academy and our patrons over on Patreon. If you want to find out about the Academy and spend some time with me and Mr. D, uh, it's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. And if you want to support the podcast and, you know, this podcast will always need supporting you wonderful people, uh, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. All sorts of extra stuff there. We've got some great deep dives coming soon. So check that out
0: absolutely and mr stay how are you this week i see you've got a new uh ebook for your mailing list like you're just pumping them out here left right and center can't keep up well this is um
1: yeah i've got i i got quite a few short stories that i i give away it's just something i like to do to build the woodville the witches of woodville universe but this is this is my first comic book so there's an artist i've known who's a friend of the family uh called uh, emily stewart and um she does she has a wonderful drawing style that's a little bit asterisk, a little bit tintin erge that kind of thing it's very bright and colorful and uh my wife used to do theater with her her mum so we met again at a party earlier in the year and i just said i've had this idea for a comic book uh, are you you know and she's showing her artwork and i thought this is perfect this is absolutely hmm. perfect so top secret over the summer i wrote a 10 page comic book uh, which I sent to Emily and she's done some amazing illustrations. And so yeah, you can get it for free if you sign up to the Witches of wow. Woodville newsletter. And there's all sorts of other free short stories there, some of them in audiobook too. Um uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a really, really interesting experience um writing for comics and seeing how it's come out. I've learned a lot from it. It was really that good
0: sounds fun. like a bit of a bucket list. Was that a bit it's of a, a bit. bucket list? It is you- a bit, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. i I I definitely like to
1: I'd definitely like to do more of it now. I've had a taste of it, you know, and it's uh, it's such a unique um, form. It's not, you know, people often compare it to film and it's not. It's definitely its own thing. It has its own way of telling stories, just the, the juxtaposition of frames together and what happens between those panels, you know, it's, it's, it's terrific stuff. But just to see someone like Emily bring it to life has been has been brilliant.
0: I think it's brilliant. I think it's really great to embrace, like, trying out all these different forms of storytelling. Oh, yeah. And and in some ways, doing a kind of a 10-page comic is a really great kind of introduction to trying it. Because when you – I guess you must have massive appreciation now when you go in, you know, you look through some – I know you're a big comic fan. You look at some of your big, meaty comic tombs that you got, right? Those yeah. – oh, yeah. I mean, thinking about the work that must go into something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, bonded. I mean, this is, this is um, like I say – a ten-page comic is me dipping
1: a toe into this, and also, mm. you know, Emily. Emily got paid; uh, she's got an hourly rate, and I paid it, so this word not cheap. Yeah, I was um, going to so, say it. it's yeah. not, is it? Illustrators so, are, you know, worth you know, their w- weight in gold,
0: but they're also absolutely, yeah. yeah. So
1: when you pick up that that comic book and you think, oh, it's so many pounds or whatever, just think of the hours <laughs> of blood, sweat, and tears that the <laughs> yeah. artist put into that. Not, yeah. not to mention the writer. And um, well, then you think, you of, know, like,
0: one stage further, you go to like animation on, you know, those. Oh. 90-minute movies, and you think about the insane level of detail the animators do. Yeah, I think I once mentioned this on the on the podcast, but I met the guy who once, his whole job was on the Bat, one of the Batman movies. No, it was a Star Wars movie. Right. Um, and he his for two years, he just worked on the movement of a cloak of one right. of the people in, in one of the, I think, Luke Skywalker <laughs> in one of the fight scenes. Two years. Just getting that right. I can believe so, that, yeah. Yeah, utterly bonkers. That's exciting. <laughs> well, listen, if you if you're into comics or... Or oh, you're an author who's thinking, you know, that's something I'd like to try. That's pop over to Mark's website, markstayrights.com, is that right? Yeah, or witchesofwoodville.com. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can where you can check it out. Excellent stuff. Fantastic. Well, Mr. State, I mean we've we've had a lot going on here. I had a I had a big day yesterday. I noticed you posted on um. On Facebook about a certain birthday, <laughs> and there was some interesting discussions that led. I had a, I had a decade birthday folks yesterday. It was one of those. For anyone else who's been there or coming up to one, it's a, it's an interesting time in your life. It's an interesting time, and the thing that the thing that's kind of funny is in the UK. For anyone who's not in the UK, so something I learned Mark moving to to North America. In the UK, our school year runs from September to end of the summer, doesn't it? Mm. And uh, as most school years do but they put the years they put the students based you know who were born i think it's what beginning of september they're the yeah. oldest in the year aren't they and mm. then it goes to kind of you know the end of august in canada it goes from january to the end of december so it's completely um, different so right. in canada i would have been one of the youngest but in england youngest. that's one of the oldest And we always used to have half term during the during my uh during the uh Oh, my birthday was always during half-term, which is marvelous. But being one of the oldest, it does mean that I'm one of the first of our friend group. Yeah. This, to hit. And I was getting all these texts yesterday from all of our all of our mutual friends about, oh my God, how does it feel? <laughs> Everyone seems a bit depressed going up to a decade birthday. But I I for anyone out there, I'm I'm in a state now. I've gone I've passed it. I'm I'm now officially 50, <laughs> folks. I can't bloody believe that. But anyway, um officially 50 and And I'm going to celebrate it because in the lead up to it, it was like, gosh, where's my, where are my 40s gone? Where's that whole decade gone? That was this overriding feel of like loss and grief Mm. and like, but you know what? I thought to myself, actually, you know, I'm banging on about all this like power of the mind. I thought I've got to change the way I look at this because I should be thinking about how lucky I am to have had 50 years. Yeah. I, and, and the reason I say that is I, I picked up a birthday card. I've been looking for like really inappropriate birthday cards for all of everyone else who's turning 50. So, so watch out, Mark, in your uh, <laughs> mail in the future. But there was this one that I found It said, it was actually, unfortunately, it was for a 40th birthday. And it said, congratulations on reaching 40. And you opened up and inside, because if you lived in the 1700s, you'd already be dead. <laughs> wow.
1: I mean, and I thought, oh. yeah,
0: I know. Yeah. And then I heard <laughs> the interviews down. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Completely unrelated. So if you want to hear the link in today's interview where we talk about that, it's an amazing story. And in yeah. fact, Mark, we should just dive straight into that. Let's we should dive it. straight into that. Let's, Let's do, do it. that. So tell us about the return of Ed MacDonald. Yes, wonderful Ed McDonald. Now, Ed
1: has been on the show before. He was on episode one hundred and five, where he, he we linked to one of his blogs, which was "Dear Debut Authors," which was. Great, honest blog about being a debut author and what he'd learned about that. And he's come back a few years later. Uh, He's got a new series. You know, we talk about his new uh, book, Daughter of Red Winter, which is the first book in the Red Winter Chronicles. But we also get on to we talk about some amazing stuff. What he deletes 15 percent of what he writes, talks about creating magical systems. Why doesn't do uh, world building. We talk about the future of fantasy and grimdark. But also we talk about how a life changing illness changed
0: his perspective on life and his writing. Yeah, you don't want to miss this, folks. It's really, really important stuff to listen to. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the wonderful Ed McDonald.
1: Ed McDonald, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today, sir?
2: I'm I'm baking hot in uh, <laughs> on sea. Well, it's a seasonal London heatwave, isn't it? Um, but surprisingly, surprising weather. But other than that, uh, yeah, I'm okay.
1: Good, 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 good. It is interesting. You see, um americans uh, in particular stunned by the fact that we in the uk don't have air conditioning because we would use it precisely three days of the year but one of those days is this is one of those days is now isn't it
2: it certainly is yeah you really feel you re- like uh london's particularly bad because of all our concrete isn't it so we, we yeah. get more heat than anywhere else um, yeah. and not not the fun sort of heat either
1: no no it's it's quite oppressive Anyway, we are not here to talk about the weather, Ed, are we? We are here to talk about your magnificent new book, uh, the first in the Red Winter Chronicles, Daughter of Red Winter. And this one really hits the ground running. Tell us about Daughter of Red Winter.
2: This is every author's nightmare. Uh, Explain (laughs) what your book is about. Um, Daughter of Red Winter is about a uh, young woman who um, she's been uh, choosing to travel with a kind of harmless new age cults, I suppose you could call them. Um but they found themselves um facing the wrath of the establishment and they're they're holed up, uh besieged in a monastery. Um and Rain Brain has an unusual gift in that she can well, gift or curse in that she can see the ghosts of the dead. Mm. And this isn't a very helpful ability. It doesn't really have any functional power or uh it's more that if people discover that she has it then um the the penalty for that is to be put to death because they fear that people with this power will go on to sort of commit dark sorceries um which is you know not no, nothing of the sort on her mind um and she she winds up uh winds up being taken away uh after some trauma is experienced to uh, the fortress monastery where now you see i wrote the word and i even i don't really know how it should be uh pronounced um listening to various pronunciations is either uh or uh something along those lines but in this world i call them Drowin. but however anyone wants to pronounce what they're called <laughs> it's a fantasy book it's made them. you can say them how you like i call them the Drowin, um and uh yeah she she's taken away by them um and becomes embroiled in conspiracy uh, to do all to do with this, this uh, forbidden power that um, she's stuck with.
1: Fantastic stuff. Let's take a moment, listeners, uh, to, to think about the poor audiobook narrators who have to narrate fantasy novels with all these wonderful exotic names uh, that we put out there. Yeah, great success with the Ravensmark trilogy: Blackwing, Ravencry, Crowfall. You know, award nominations, fantastic reviews, and here you are starting with a new series. And I'm always fascinated by authors, who particularly fantasy authors, who start with a, a new series because you've got a new world to build, there's new magic systems, new characters. Was there any trepidation in in starting over?
2: No, not really. Um, I I very much wanted to write something that was very, very different in terms of character and in terms of uh, feel, I suppose. The Raven's Mark series is, you know, it's very nihilistic, it's very... It's almost a little schlocky in places, you know. It's a little tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things which I, I put in to see could I get away with including them in a, <gasps> in, a in a fantasy novel. You know? There's a there's a power armored Gatling gun at one point, and and that was <laughs> I remember thinking at the time. I wonder if I'll be allowed to keep this in. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas whereas Redwin is a really different kind of book. It's uh, it's much more introspective. Um, I'd almost go as far as to say, although you know, I, I we is I, I kind of loathe the the way the books get um, given certain subgenres, but it's a lot closer to literary fiction than um, it's in a way that Blackwing is a lot closer to a comic book, right? Um, there, so it's a lot more introspective. Um, I think the character relationships form this very important focus. Um, which I suppose, you know, they did in the Raven's Mark, but, but in a different way. So less of a breakneck pace. And when it came to designing the world, I I don't do world building. I I don't do any at all. I I never have. I just start writing the book. (laughs) Right. And I write what feels natural and comes naturally to me. And in, in the, uh, in the redrafts and the edits, that's when, everything gets solidified and comes together. Mm. So I delete about 50% of everything I write. Um, so there's, a, a, you know, I, I've, I've just deleted the first five chapters of the second book and rewritten them from scratch with completely different events and different characters in them because I felt that I didn't like what I ran. So you, it's very easy to pen yourself in with world building so that you feel, well, I've designed it this way, so it has to work by these rules. Mm. But there are no rules. You can just make it up.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's why I won't write historical fiction, because I'd hate to to um, research uh, a whole sequence of events and then feel, i get to a point and think, but wouldn't it be better if this person was beheaded at this point and they, they lived <laughs> another 30 years, you know? So, um, no, now I, I feel no fear of, of starting something new like that. Having said that, between the two series, I did write at least 200,000 words worth of false starts on projects that never got
1: off the ground. Wow. Okay. Let's un- let's unpack that. There's a couple of things to-, to talk about there. One, I love the fact that you're... Uh, it's so refreshing to hear fantasy authors say, you know, no world building beforehand, because I think there is, particularly when when authors are starting out they think, oh crikey, I've got to create all this backstory like Tolkien had or or whatever had. You know, I have to do a kind of almost Dungeons and Dragons like rule book before I can even write the first chapter. And that's not always the case, is it? You can you can discover it as you go along and bend the rules and, and discover the world as as your character characters, you know, negotiate it. Um but I love that you're willing to delete, you know, fifty percent of what you're writing and has that become part of your uh, pr- process now has that become some because a lot of people listen to that and have a heart attack but we've spoken to authors before who've said yeah actually you know i get so f- 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 i get about a third of the way in and then i know what it's about and i go back and start again is that kind of what you're doing
2: i, I would love to imagine that the word process could be applied <laughs> to anything i do <laughs> um, i start writing and i i get a certain way in and when i get a certain way in and it could be a chapter or it could be 40,000 words um, and then I'll just think something's not working and I wonder what it is <laughs> and then I'll, I'll go back and change and I mean, with this um, with with daughter of Redwinter I got to 90,000 words before I thought to myself you know there's no antagonist in this story <laughs> <laughs> There's no villain. <laughs> um, everyone's having a great soap opera, but I don't know. I don't know what the point of the book is. So I then went back to the beginning and I deleted the original beginning that I had and I rewrote uh, maybe the first five chapters from scratch, and then I worked my way forward, changing everything so that it all meshed up. And then uh, by the time I got to the end of the book at about one hundred sixty thousand words, I thought. Yeah, now I've figured out the point of the book. That's great. Now I, now I know what happens. But the things I was writing about in the last quarter of the book, none of it makes sense right now because none <laughs> of the setup is there for it. There were things I wanted to happen, but I hadn't, I hadn't uh, put any of the things in which will allow them to. So I'm currently on a rewrite, um, making sure everything works. But this is how I do it. I, I work forward and then I go back and then I have to work forward from the back. And then it keeps it's sort of slowly building up um, inch by inch. And in the end, I, I get a book out of it. Um, I can't really understand how anyone writes it any other way. Though. <laughs> I just don't know how you make a plan and stick to it. Because how do you have your best ideas before you've, you've lived with the characters and seen their relationships developing as you write? Or this is why I don't, I don't do world building, why, I don't I, why would I have my best ideas while I was sitting trying to think up a world rather than you know uh, let's say in the Ravens Mark, the reason there is neon lighting everywhere is because when I was describing them approaching a, the city, I thought how boring it seemed to describe. So I thought I'm going to put in neon lights that'll be good I bet'll never <laughs> get into the book. But then as soon as you put in neon lights, you you know it's on a whim. But then there has to be a reason why that works in a fantasy setting. So you have to create the magic system back from the world to fill that in. And, um, yeah, to me, it's a very organic process of, it discovers itself as it goes along. I, I hate it when pe- people say like all three things like that, isn't it? Yeah, the characters <laughs> write their own stories. It's like they, <laughs> I know they don't. <laughs> I know it's all me, but
1: I like I like what you're saying though because a lot of authors, particularly working in uh, science fiction or fantasy, they say, "Oh, I love to discover the what if." But you seem to be asking, "Can I get away with this?" Which I think is a much more cheeky and uh, exciting way of writing. Sort of the, I'm going to chuck in this thing. I'm going to chuck in neon lightning. I'm going to chuck in magical Gatling guns i think that's um it's uh, it's 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 a it's a great pr- way to discover your world just by saying yeah let, let's have some fun with this yeah
2: like what i i, I want a, a lot of what i write is just what do i want to write today um because if i'm enjoying it then yeah. i tend to think other people will enjoy something about it um i i have one sort of rule which is that uh and that, this very much applies to Daughter of Redwinter, which is if your character has a magical ability, the resolution to the story must directly relate to the way that that operates or the way it works. So it's very different to writing The Raven's Mark because in Redwinter, Rain has a power and the story can't just be resolved through a sword fight. It has to be resolved through that power being at the focus of everything that happens. Otherwise, why is it there? Yeah, you know it can't just be, you know, it's not a video game where they just have random abilities that are useful. Whereas in Blackwing um, and the Raven's Mark, uh, the protagonist doesn't have a magical power, which means that the the story can't be resolved by him learning something new about magic. Hmm. Um, But if you're writing a story where someone is learning. Learning magical powers, I feel there's an onus of responsibility that those powers are the thing because they're what are making it the fantasy. Um, Mm. Otherwise, they could be something else. They could be completely different. It would be the same story. And it also has, I also feel like the character arc and their personal journey and what they learn about themselves has to directly tie in with the growth and development and use of those abilities. So, so the, yeah. the starting point for Red Winter, and this is, this is it, Red Winter is a rewrite of a, a novel I trunked back in 2012, um, a complete rewrite from, from scratch. But the initial standing point was, what, what if you had Sauron's powers, but you didn't want to be Sauron, but everyone <laughs> else was nuts, and you had to stop them for their own, for, for their own good? Um, and it's, it's progressed. It evolved a long way from there, but that—that was—that's um, why Rain has the powers she does. Um, what happens if everyone considers these abilities you have innately to be evil? And in Venice, you can only really do quite evil things with them, but they're all you got.
1: <laughs> I love the idea that again, you, you're working on an idea, then you're trunking it, but it doesn't quite die. You know, there's there's something there. Was it a case of you putting this away? working on the Ravensmark uh, trilogy and then think then coming back to it, were you sifting through old ideas or was this the idea that just wouldn't go away?
2: Well, so what happened originally was I wrote this novel and it was 280,000 words. It was (laughs) was a huge doorstopper. And, um, an agent told me it's too long to be published. No one's going to give a new author, um, a book deal for that. So I thought, right, I've got to write something shorter. And that's when I wrote, um, Blackwing. Mm. Um, and, you know, m- many years on, um, I didn't want to go back to it. I wasn't planning to. And then I was trying uh, trying out new things, and I tried idea after idea. And I had one book about snakes, which were as as wide as the Empire State Building is tall, going around the earth. And I had another one about um, sort of... Um, almost like a, a samurai western and i had another one about the hunger games but in a coliseum um one about spider tanks and what uh, about first world war magical trench warfare and i tried out idea after idea after idea um and none of them was sticking with me um i wasn't enjoying any of them some of them i got really far with i got about hundred thousand words into one of them and uh you know that's that's a full novel length Mm-hmm. And I got fifty thousand words into a couple of others um and I just didn't think any of them were good and I was kind of i was in I, me and my my partner in france um on holiday and our our sort of holiday is we go somewhere and then sit individually and write for <laughs> for the whole time we 're there but I was lying in in the pool uh, on a on one of those inflatable beds staring up at the sky, kind of despairing um and my complete inability to to write anything and it had been about a year a year and a half since i writ, finished writing raven's mark and um yeah and i, I just thought i'm just going to dig back through some old stuff um and i i picked out the old book and i thought you know maybe there's something can i chop it in half or can i at least take the best bits and do something and i started working on it um And very quickly, it became apparent that the character who I'd written then was kind of back in 2012, had been a kind of reflection of me in my later teens and twenties. But there was this new character who really wanted to come through and completely change things. So I was like, well, I'm gonna have to gender flip the main character. I'd written this from a male perspective. And I I thought, no, you know what? I've, I've spent so much time changing and rewriting in the last couple of years. I'm just gonna hold back, and for three days I held myself back from doing it, and then I was like, "Nope, doing it." That's and and you know, the, I know the characters don't really exist, but there was there was a sort of feeling of this character. It was her story that was going to get told, um, and I think I think the truth of that is probably that the brain, the protagonist of Red Winter, is a reflection of experiences and traumas and life that I've experienced in my 30s as well as my 20s and my teens and she's an amalgamation of all those things come together along with you know uh combined with a lot of late night conversations during lockdowns and all manner of of learning um and she she kind of in or that part of my subconscious insisted that it was her story. Um, and so like the magic system got kept, the uh, the ghosts got kept and pretty much nothing else from that drunk novel got kept. So the, the central themes remained, but she just took it over and just like
1: made it a completely new novel. Fantastic. And it's interesting that you've, you know, you've got a, a young female protagonist. Was well, some of that, anything to do with the sort of the changing landscape of of fantasy because certainly when blackwing was first published we were at sort of peak grimdark i would say you know and uh we're now seeing you know a kind of almost not a softening i guess but there seems to be a bit more light and shade in fantasy these days was 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 rain did rain come around because of that well i certainly wasn't conscious
2: of it but um I think that we, there, there was certainly, as you say, a time when Grimdark ruled the roost um, and Grimdark was all over. And I think eventually it just gets tiring. Um, there's only so many old men of violence you can read before they kind <laughs> of start blurring into one. And and I'd done the old men of violence. I, I'd written that. For me, I, I wanted to write a character who was much more was perhaps on a more hopeful course. But I also just wanted to write a really different character experience. So Ravensmark Galharo is, he's 40 in the first one, 50 in the last book, but he's got a long, sordid, dark past to reflect on. Mm. And Rain is, Rain is young, she's 17. And perhaps that ties in with the, the audience as well, um, with uh, you know, with various things going on in the world perhaps just having had enough of relentless nihilism and, and bleakness <laughs> which you know I, I love i absolutely love that um but then i i've always said uh you know my books have always been solved with the power of love and friendship mm. <laughs> um but i think i think we certainly saw a shift from um people wanting to indulge in grimdark because is a there comes a point in any trend where it starts parodying itself.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, the term itself was originally a sort of self-mocking term. And then by the time you're you're you know seven, seven, eight years into the subgenre, people are people who've been who've grown up on grimdark books don't realize perhaps that it's a bit of a, it's a joke. And and really all the best grimdark stuff is tongue in cheek and like it's a little, it knows that it's a little over the top and a little Mm. bit camp even if you go that bus, (laughs) but then, you know, the, the, it starts becoming this serious thing where people take all, all the bleakness and all the darkness and all the, the high levels of violence and brutality and forget the campness and effect, forget the, the, um, the absurdist humour. Um, I think Joe Crombie is a great example of, of if you, you know, if, if you read his latest series, it's mm. it's a commentary on Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and it's like 2000 AD um, comic used to do the, all the Judge Dredd stuff. Used to do this tremendously well, where in this totally bleak, relentlessly awful future, it's it's all sort of hilarious. Oh yeah. It's, it's meant to be funny that he's judge, jury and executioner because that's absurd. But then when I was a kid, I didn't get it. I thought he, you know, he was like a superhero, like any other. And I think we get, we got that with Grimdark, but I also think we at the same time got a bit of a wave where I think that the, the market force in the audience started insisting upon a more diverse array of fantasy Mm-hmm. Um, and publishers, you know, will, will respond to, um, try and give the audience what they want once someone has proved it can be done. Um, so Rebecca, uh, sorry. Um, here's a great example of this that everyone will get, actually. Um, the movie Bridesmaids, um, that never been an all female led, uh, mm-hmm. comedy before. And before that, everyone had said it can't be done. No yeah. one will go and see it. And, of course, then as soon as it works once, everyone, everyone piles onto to uh, the bandwagon. Um, and suddenly they're all very, oh, yes, we're so pro-films with women in. But, <laughs> you know, they weren't, were they? They weren't before. Um, so as soon as some, someone proves that it can be done, uh, everyone is happy to publish. And so we've seen gr- great progress made in publishing more um, a more diverse array of authors, and more diverse fantasy settings. Um, and sure, there have always been the occasional book set in, uh, you know, a, a fantasy version of um, uh, the Middle East, for instance. But now, I, I would say it's gone from that is the book about the fantasy Middle East to there are books
1: yes. about yes.
2: about, and and it's not it's not a gimmick, it's not you know, mm-hmm. which is great. But, of course, what, what's happened as well is we've carried through a lot of the things that we can have learned from enjoying the grimdark wave, um, more, more morally dubious characters, um, less clearly defined lines between who's the hero and who's the villain. And so I think that as each wave pushes forward, um, it inevitably crests. And then as, we, as the readership starts taking on the zeitgeist to whatever it is they really want to see next. All the good of those lessons from those trends gets carried for, forward with it. Um, so I don't know what, what the next thing is going to be. I certainly know that I, if I think back to reading um, Richard Morgan's uh, The Steel Remains when I was um, a teenager, my mum had got that for me for Christmas. And uh, it was the first book I ever read that had a very clearly gay protagonist and thinking when I was reading it, you know, back, back in the, it, it may be hard for young people to un, rem, un, know this nowadays, but like, well, gosh, well, back in 1997, when I'd have been reading that, like people did not have the acceptance of, uh, the way that we do now of, um, LGBT people or content in media. It was shocking. And that's, that's not that long ago. Um, but now what i think we see in fantasy is that the fantasy readership wants the uh, the landscape in their fantasy books to to be reflective of the world they live in and we live in in places surrounded by lgbt people um so it's not a gimmick it's just there are just lgbt characters and they are the main characters or they are not and i think we're seeing fantastic progress across the board in, in so many ways in fantasy. Um, I only wish I could guess what the next trend was going to be in three years' time and uh, and take a shot at, uh, at jumping on it. But that wouldn't work. That never works.
1: Mm, I don't know what you mean. Um, <clears throat> I think Still Remains was later than I was at Orion when that came out. That could even be 2003 onwards. Is that right? anyway, yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. But anyway, anyway um, I want to talk about something... Uh, that I hope you're okay to talk about. But I know at Christmas 2021, you were very ill. And from the looks of things, it was pretty dicey. And listeners out there, we have people who have had similar situations and we're always interested in how it affects authors and their perspective on writing and how it might change their writing. Can you tell us about what happened last Christmas?
2: Sure. So um, I I had... uh... A four-day onset of um, a nerve disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome um, or GBS. Um, GBS is a, a nerve disorder that affects about 100,000 people and it affects them in varying degrees of severity. So Jenna Jameson had it at the same time that I did, interestingly. Mm. So in her case, she lost the ability to walk temporarily. Uh, for me, I lost the... Well, uh, every every basically every nerve in my body sees, functioning. So I, uh, over four days I lost the ability to walk, um, to move my arms and eventually, uh, to breathe. Um, so I went into hospital, um, and, uh, I arrived in, in a and um, unable to really move anything. I could I can move my arms from the elbows down and I could move, uh, I, I could still speak. And uh, a lovely, lovely, amazing NH doctor just said to me, just looked at me, and she just said, oh, it's GBS. We get one case in hospital per year. Um, and so, yeah, then then uh, I was in intensive care for about a week. Um, they pumped me full of fentanyl, uh, ketamine, or um, I think I was on seven different painkillers at one point. Um which gave me the most trippy, weird, uh, <laughs> sci-fi experience of my life. I thought I was on a spaceship in a dead universe where I was the only living human for a while, for about four days. I thought that, um, and then, yeah, they, they treated me with something called, um, in vitro immunoglobulin, uh, which basically is just putting, it's basically putting clean blood into you that restart because GBS it's, it's where your own nervous system eats your own nerves. Um, <sighs> If your nerves are wires, uh, then your immune system eats the plastic coating around the wires, and then none of them work. Uh, and then my body regrew it. But I I was then in rehab, a neurological rehab ward for a while, um, but I was tremendously lucky because most people who suffer this are in hospital for somewhere around six months to a year, um, and I managed to get out of hospital in under a month. Wow. Um, and no one knows why no um no one knows why i i came back so quickly um i'm i'm almost back at full strength um i'm i'm not quite but uh yeah i, I sort of i sometimes say it's a bit like stepping on a chihuahua poo cuz like <laughs> you never want to step on a dog poo but like at least it was a small one um so yeah that was um that's how, that's how we spent Christmas, and of course, uh, no one could. Well, I could have one visitor a day for one hour, yeah. um, because COVID. Um, so my partner would come in; she'd travel an hour to get there, spend an hour with me, through which I would be in uh, varying stages stages of lucidity, um, and then uh, and then have to travel off home. So, yeah, that was that was how we spent Christmas Day, and uh, um, yeah. Um, Strangest, strangest strangest thing that's ever happened in my life certainly and uh, it's where i it's where i lose the medieval death game it's where in uh, if i if i was born uh, 600 years ago that's where i finish right, that's, God. that's where i died <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: God. how did that change your perspective on life on writing on your work on what you write about I mean, I think I, I assume Daughter of Red Winter was already sort of done and dusted, or at least in the edit stage at that point. But has it has it changed? You know, when you sit down at the desk, has it changed how you write things? Are you thinking, right? You know, I'm not having a day off. I'm not. You know, I'm getting on with it. The, the clock is ticking. Did it did it change that at all?
2: So, it, so there's a combo of two things. One is it, it hammers home just how important it is to do everything now, just to to go for it, work on it now, do everything that you can absolutely do. Because, you know, uh, the GBS, it, it comes about from uh, you have, you're supposed to have some kind of um, respiratory infection. And then a week or so later, GBS develops. And no one knows why that is either. No one knows what the connection is but it's it's very very common those two things happen and I didn't <laughs> um so effectively it just came out the blue you know it was a thunderbolt of four very confusing days where the first ambulance wouldn't take me private doctor came out at three in the morning um he said I was fine I just needed to take some vitamins and sleep um and then the second ambulance uh, eventually did take me but yeah, it does make me think just just to get on, get on and do. Um, and certainly in the second of the Red Winter books, I've I've written certain elements of that experience um, into into things that happen in that book. I, I don't think you can go through something like that and be be unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think I'm too. I don't know what the word is exactly. I would resent it too much if I allowed something like that to have a significant impact on my life for very long. Um, I, I refuse to let it win. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure that uh, there are long lasting after effects that I'll be finding for years to come. Um, and yeah, I, I still have day, like I, one of the after effects is uh, um, in my hands, my fingers either go numb, tingle, uh burn, uh feet as well. And so a couple of nights ago I was waking up and every time I woke up both of my hands would have gone dead. Um, and I have to shake shake feeling back into them. Um, it's also high levels of fatigue. Um, my my legs aren't as strong as they used to be. Um, but these are all things that that I just have to sort of adapt to and live with because they likely won't go away. Um, mm-hmm but I'm aware how lucky I was uh, to recover and to be supported as I was by my partner and my family. Um, and it's, it's made my family. Um, we've always been sort of you know, we've always been close, but one of those close families who also doesn't necessarily make the right amount of time to see each other mm. because we all have very busy lives. And so, the one, you know, the one positive that's come out of it is that I think we all make more effort to to make sure that we we make that time. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, Ed, we are immensely grateful that you made it through that, which must have been absolutely terrifying.
2: Shout out to the NHS, who are the most just yeah. workers, the
1: most incredible people you'll ever meet absolutely absolutely uh, so say we all um ed what's coming next from you there uh, you mentioned book two there's a, is it a trilogy uh, the red winter chronicles
2: well it's a series and there are there are three in the series under uh, contract right. um depending how things go in the next few weeks um you know if uh, if my publishers were to come back to me and say how do you think about going a five or seven then um it's a different story that you tell if it, if it's going to be um, that long, but I wouldn't be averse. Um, I have ideas for a couple of standalones. I have a contemporary thriller I'd like to write, but, um, I'm also hoping to be able to try and write some, uh, uh audio drama, um, and maybe even a screenplay. Um, Excellent. yeah. So, um, but at the moment it's one of those, uh, the Red Chronicles need writing. Um, so that is where all, all the energy goes right now.
1: Wonderful stuff. Ed McDonald. thank you so much for speaking to us and I uh, hope to speak to you again real soon. Thanks
2: so much.
0: So, Mark, we can't really uh, dive into this interview without kind of acknowledging, obviously, what Ed had been through. And yeah. it's. Um, I'm really glad that he was able to talk about it because I think for some people it can be, I mean, it can be quite a harrowing experience, but... I can imagine for, for Ed, it's changed his life forever, hasn't it? I mean, you can't ever go through something like that and look on the world with the, same, with the same pair of eyes. I love the perspective that he had. He said it's like
1: stepping in chihuahua poo. But you know, at least it's a small one. <laughs> Which
3: yeah. I think it's
1: such a great way to think of it. And he refuses to let it win as well, you know. But I think, you know, we, we talked about the medieval death game. I mean that's right. something I probably would have lost when I was a toddler. I had convulsions when I was a toddler, so I'd have been, I'd have probably swallowed my tongue, or been burned as a witch or something, <laughs> you know. So, so I I'd, I'd have lost that if it wasn't for modern medicine. But um, and it it's, you know I'm constantly thinking I'm going to drop dead any minute now. So this thing of go for it, work on it now, do everything you can. That's what drives me, you know, a probably quite unhealthy sense of my my mortality. No, but I think that's, I uh, think
0: it's actually an. It, it, this is the funny thing. Everyone talks about an unhealthy sense or a fear of death. I think it's one of the most important motivations we should have in life, and particularly when we talk about writing, because, um, and I've said this many times, like what we put down on paper, what we what we tap on the keyboard, lives beyond us, and there is a sense of of our ability to, you know, through our words and our our ideas that we want to put down on paper and our themes and stories that we want to talk about, um, become, I do really believe this. I really believe they become the most important thing that we leave behind. And I can say that from, I can say that from personal experience as well, because I had this incredible sense of, of wanting to read things that my wife had written after she passed Mm. away. I, I was looking for like notebooks and and every time I found a piece of paper that had something with her handwriting on it or something written down, um, it was incredibly precious. And it in some way connected us in in many ways to her 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 essence, her voice, that, that mm. thing that was living, you know, before she passed. And even now, in four or five years down the road, I find, I, I still find things. Like I found a gratitude journal the other day, which was just like mind oh blowing all the things she's grateful for. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And so... I think for anyone, anyone who's experienced this, and strangely enough, we had someone join join the academy who almost died of COVID. And they said right. to me, the reason they joined the academy is that they said, I can't wait. I can't put this off. In. I've been putting this off all my life. I've got to do this now. So, um, you know, Ed's, Ed's Ed's story is such a powerful reminder of that thing that we kind of forget in day-to-day life when we get through. You know, you wake up, you've th- you got all your problems in front of you. You've got all your emails to... And We forget that actually, this is another day where we get to we get to do this. We get to maybe write a few words, and it's. I, th- good I to think remember. lockdown has, as well,
1: in its own way, affected everyone. In what did people do when they didn't have to work for a living? They were baking. They were writing. They were yeah, making vegetables. music. Growing vegetables. They were they were doing the things they don't have to do when they're not hunched over, a, you know, a, a laptop in an office or wherever they might be working, you know. And I think we've we've all. All of us, to some extent, have discovered that I want to do more of the thing that I love
0: uh, because you, we only get one shot at this, you know. We, totally, yeah. You know. As they say, it's not a dress rehearsal, right? No. It, it's, and the other thing <laughs> is that the it, it's it's all it's two things. It's it's doing what we love, doing what we have a passion for, because when we're doing what we have a passion for, we do our very best work. Mm. And when you add that up over a lifetime, like who doesn't want to have a life of their very best work? Yeah. You know, most people. You know, one should be asking them that question daily. But the second thing is, is that when we do our very best work, when we're doing what we're passionate about, we're we're influencing and changing the world in a in a in a different way than if we just showed up to just you know run an ordinary run of the life mill, uh, a life where we're out there consuming rather than creating, or consuming yeah. just consuming rather than creating and contributing. And and I always do. I always do. I mean, I'm obviously get. I get very philosophical a lot, but I get very <laughs> philosophical around 50th birthdays as well, yeah, right? I it's a good bet, opportunity, I bet,
3: yeah. Right. So
0: you know, I did. I spent the whole of the whole of yesterday just journaling and thinking about like the importance of life and the importance of the days that we have, and we don't talk about it enough because I think people are a bit kind of embarrassed to admit maybe that that this actually is really important to them. Um so yeah i salute I salute what Ed's doing. I salute that he's cracking on right, and getting on with it. I salute you, mark, you know, having this kind of you know unhealthy fear of mortality, how you put it. <laughs> I think that's brilliant, I think that's brilliant and um and i think and I just want to encourage anyone listening today who this who this touches in some way to just spend a few moments a day just sitting down, even if it's just sitting quietly somewhere. You know, move get yourself away from everyone. Just go and sit in a quiet space. Or if you like to journal, sit with your book and ask yourself what you want to do with, with the rest of your life. Because at some point, we should, we should be asking ourselves that question almost on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. there are moments in your life where you should actually stop. And not on New Year's Eve when you're drinking champagne and thinking, yeah. oh, where did the year go? Like, do it away from New Year's Eve. Do it. Just pick a random afternoon. Today's as beautiful as every other day in your life, ultimately. So sit down and write a page about how what you would like to contribute through your writing, what you'd like your life to mean to the people that will learn from whatever journey you go on in the future, you know, the future generations that will, will follow you, Um and all those people are going to pick up your words who never, ever met you, you know, yeah. two, 300 years down the road. We've always said this, but like, what would we have given to have our grandparents, great, great, great grandparents' diaries and journals and thoughts yeah. and understanding about their world? Because that connects us in a heartfelt sense to someone who was part of our family even. And Yeah. Um, well, I've, I think I've mentioned this
1: before, but whenever I've got together with my parents, I've recorded their conversations um particularly if they've had some drinks because i just want them i want them to tell their stories because they've got some great great stories and uh i want to get those down before while 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 i can still get those stories you know and i've got them i've recorded them they're filed away safely you know i could transcribe them or whatever um, I've already played some of it to my kids, and they're like gobsmacked. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's granddad, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it is important to to capture as, as much of this as you can because it's also also fleeting, you know. And once they're gone, those stories are gone. You know, those, yeah. those they, they only they could tell them. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something very much on, on my mind as I reach the peak of the 50 roller coaster. I can see oh, uh, there it all there. It's in February. Right. See you there. Right.
0: <laughs> Do you know, what's super awesome, Mark, is that my, um, I've got this really weird thing in my family. It's weird, but it's just interesting that a lot of my family are decades apart. It's so cool. So my daughter is, is, you know, three decades younger than me. My grandmother turned 100 this year. She's no she's, double, way. she's double we're now exactly double double the age and she's still living. She's still rocking and rolling 100%. Wow, there. it's amazing. My dad is 30 years older than me and he turns 80 in in less than a couple of weeks. Right. And talking about recording, he he once recorded a life story of my grandfather which I absolutely, it's on audio wow. it's absolutely wow. incredible like a family heirloom right on a tape on a tape and we digitized yeah. it. But I also was inspired. Then I, I would start recording things like Christmas dinners. It was a bit cheeky once. I once hit a hid a mini disc <laughs> recorder and a microphone Brilliant. Brilliant. at the top of the <laughs> at the top of the cabinet in the in dining room where we had Christmas dinner once. When all the kids were tiny, they were like you know yeah. one and two years old, and my dad would always put on this amazing Christmas dinner and like you know you know light the like the Christmas pudding and all that you know half a bottle of whiskey going on it, um, and. You know, moments like that, to have those, even just to capture the ambience of a family get-together and without people... I mean, I know you should ask people's permission, but, you know, it's like with kids. The minute you hold up a video camera... They change. Yeah, they're yeah. like, ooh, sort of, yeah. you know, they just can't get any sense out of them. And it's the same with people. When they know they're being recorded, they'll yeah. be very careful about what they say. But just to get that kind of ambience of a Christmas dinner, don't wait. Don't wait until mm. parents or friends... um become you know old or, or, or something happens to them um or they 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 you know they get an illness and then you suddenly think oh i want to do it now do it do yeah. it when do it whilst they're healthy if you're going for a cup of coffee with a with a best friend bring bring put your phone down on the table and say hey do you mind if we just kind of like record this i just want to like like do it now because it's such an important thing to capture and you never know where those stories may transpire in the future they might become a major well, that- inspiration
1: that's what I was thinking. I mean, the thing is, you know, you you if you're recording people without their permission, you know, there's all kinds of moral questions about that. But yeah, you're not. It, it goes away. It's archived. You know, you don't listen to it. You don't. It's like in, in a way, it is a bit like keeping a diary. But your children's children could find that Christmas thing and go, "I'm going to write
0: a story about this. I'm yeah, going to exactly. try. It, or I'm going to discover more about this. You know, that yeah, it's one not thing, for us. It's not for know, us. It's for another us. generation if to come. One thing that said that sparks an idea. Yeah, I yeah. think that that's brilliant. But I think, actually, I mean, I, I talk about asking permission. I think, obviously, you always ask permission when you're recording audio, unless you I want do. to play Prank in family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but <laughs> what I will say is if you are going to record, it's actually easier just to put the phone and, you know, that little voice memo th- thing on on the Apple yeah. iPhone. It's brilliant. Once, it's I find that, and you've, you've known this, Mark, as well, interviewing people, when you're recording people... If you ask them, do you mind if I record? And once you put the phone down, you say, yeah, just ignore it. It's not. And once it's there, people forget about it out of sight, out of mind. I think video cameras are the things that change the nature of yeah. people. So I think I just audio, audio is brilliant because it also, it's a bit like reading a book. Mm. You imagine the, the seat that they're sitting in, you hear noises in the background. You think, what's that noise, you know? So I think, um, again, encouraging people just, just to turn on and start recording. I think it's one of the best things that we can do. Yeah, agreed. agreed. Now, Ed also talked about having fun with his writing as well, didn't he? I mean, and, and he talked about this journey of, um. I mean, it's kind of interesting talking about this now, but like violence and dark, and how <laughs> his characters, this juxtaposition of how his characters always win through the power of love and friendship. So there's this really interesting kind of like battle going on, isn't there, which we... Which we can see out in the world today, even. But um... well,
1: I mean, this this the fantasy sort of grimdark genre is one one of my favourite things to read as well. I, I really enjoy it. But um, I think you'll find, you know, with with Ed's books, there is you know there is violence and there there are terrible things happening to people. Uh, as, and he mentioned Gerber Abercrombie there as well. And but you will find so much compassion in in that writing, you know, because we we want to put our characters through hell to test them and bring them out the other side as better people and it's interesting to see how the genre has evolved i mean you know we we're talking he mentioned joe's new trilogy which essentially is is kind of he said it was about brexit but it's also about a society changing and realizing the, un, the unfairness in society the sort of the gaps between rich and poor these are these are the ideas pursued by authors who care about people and care about society and are asking really really big questions and this is one of the things i love that fantasy can can do and can address and science fiction as well you know these these genres can take on these massive ideas and you know spatter the walls of blood but also make you think and i love how that's uh progressing and it's interesting to see that happen with with ed's writing as as, as we go through life and we get all kinds of knockbacks and uh trials and tribulations it can't help but change the way that we write as people it can't you know I, I look at stuff i wrote in my early 20s and kind of when i hadn't really done much with my life and certainly hadn't been you know had any kind of trauma in my life um and it's quite, it's got a swagger and it's cocky and it's fun but it's kind of paper thin as well and i think once you get through life and get a few cuts and bruises it you know the blood seeps
0: onto the page mm. and i think it's i think it's really interesting as well how despite you know the gore and um you know obviously that that a the, the, lot of the fantasy genres are all about you know how many limbs can you cut off and oh yeah but but it's <laughs> but it's interesting as well that despite all that despite all that you know love and friendship always it wins the day. I mean, you know, whether it's a Disney movie, whether it's a grimdark novel, um, you know, again we saw it like classics like Lord of the Rings. And I think it's really, you know, it's 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 a hopeful it's a hopeful thing for us in our times right now, you know, whilst we go through the realities of those kind of um war scenarios kind of being played out in the world right now. It's the thing that we all cling and hope to. The power of love and friendship can actually, you know, reconciliation, if you like, can actually, you know, um, win the day at the end. At the end of it all, I mean, the thing with Grimdark is, is
1: the the thing is, the good guys will die, the good guys will lose. You know, th- it doesn't always win the day. But you sitting there reading it in your cozy living room, or you know, feet up on a sofa with a cup of tea, or wherever you might be reading your book the unfairness of some of these storylines where people you love do get, you know, hacked down in their prime or whatever, it provokes thought in you about the world around you and how unfair it can be sometimes and i don't know about you but when i read something like that it makes me want to be a better person it makes me want to look out Completely. for injustices in the world you know so by having that I mean, this is the same thing with horror movies as well horror movies we 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 hold up a mirror that shows humanity perhaps at its worst and, and doing terrible things uh but it kind of it, there's a cathartic thing there where you come through the other side and think well you know i i'm not going to be that person i'm going to uh, you know, I'm going to be a better person as a result, and that that I get that a lot. You know, it it can put a fire in my belly. I can think, "Damn, this is unfair." What mm. can I do to make the world a, a better place? So, um, I know that sounds weird, and no, not at
0: all. Doesn't uh, uh, make it, it does that doesn't sound weird one bit. It <laughs> sounds absolutely essential. It really does. Um, I think that writing and stories is a way of working through some of those th- thoughts and and as as writers we can make we can make a better world through our writing but also but also we still need to be out in the world making the better world you know as as, as citizens as people as, i'll show you something <laughs> that i mean this is really really kind of dear to my her- heart right now yesterday um my kids for my 50th birthday present, I was like, what, what, what could I, what would be the best present? And for me, I wanted something that was a reminder, daily reminder for me moving forward about, um, the importance of going out there and trying to make the world a better place and, and doing that by reminding myself that it needs to start with me, has to start with me. So I had two kids, two of my kids draw on my hand, you ready for this? <laughs> that. <laughs> And what's really interesting is I carried that around with me yesterday, and it started to fade. And I thought, ah, interesting. And so I had to get it redone again today before they went to school. But I see it every all the time, like all the time. It's weird, like it's there all the time. And so for audio listeners, for audio listeners, tell us, tell us what's on the palm so of what, your hand. So, what, so, one of the kids drew an outline of a heart on the palm of my mm-hmm. hand, quite large, almost the whole of the palm. And the, my daughter then coloured it in in red. So, um. This this could be the beginning of something, Mark. I haven't fully thought it out, but I had a bit of a dreaming, what what would I call it, a waking dream. Do you know that point between when you're asleep and when you're waking up and you start getting very this well. really incredible stream of consciousness? Yep. Right? No, so I well. had a lot of, st- I call it a download or a dumping, and I've had it <laughs> yesterday and I had it today, and I'm working on something to do with this. <laughs> call it a dumping. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> call it a <laughs> dumping. That's probably it. <laughs> but um, I'm going to share this on I'm going to share this over the next week or two when I want to put it together, but there's something that I want people to, to take from this. Um, and it links to everything that we've talked about, everything that we've talked about, about, you know, love and friendship winning the day. And I think it's just, I'm just feeling this incredible sense that um, whether it's through our words or our actions in the world right now, we need to step up. We need to step up as a, as a, not as countries, but as individuals, no. yeah. because that's part of the problem the boundaries yeah. um oh, but anyway yeah. i won't i won't go too much into that because it's We're a, a much very reflective mood aren't i know we? <laughs> well this is actually i like this most of the time um it's just that it becomes there's moments where it all just kind of comes together but um mm. yeah watch mm. your space i'll talk maybe i'll talk a bit more about it on next week's podcast if people are interested in finding a bit more but i need to just document what i've been you know when you you need to kind of like just write it all down and just look at yeah, it and yeah, say, yeah. What, what is this but there is yeah. something there but anyway Thank you so much, to Ed. And if you've found this interesting, we have got more that we want to chat about with Ed because there is too much to cover on this podcast. So if you'd like to listen to the extended edition of this podcast, we are going to talk about um, being brave and chopping your words. <laughs> and we're going to go into a bit of an interesting discussion around themes versus ideas now, you know ed was trying out ideas writing 280,000 words we're going to kind of delve into that and, and talk about what that means if you're finding yourself in that place so if you'd like to listen to the extended edition of this podcast it's available to all patrons and academy members so as mark mentioned earlier pop along to the website and sign up to either one of those there is so much more to talk about if you like this kind of if you like any of this kind of chat with me and mark this is kind of what you get in the academy and coaching wise as well so Um, We're gonna talk a little bit more about another Academy member who uh, has got some experiences that they've had.
1: Yes, uh, this is our, our weekly chat with one of our academies. So we talked to Wendy Coth, who writes science fiction fantasy. Uh, she, in her teens, she consumes science fiction anthology. She writes, re- reads uh, science fiction from all over. She lives in London and she's working on Chantilly Yogurt, which is a debut novel, which is a, ro- a sort of romance, lighthearted speculative romance set in contemporary London. But I had a quick chat with Wendy to talk about her experiences in the academy. Wendy Coath, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being such a long-standing supporter of the podcast and the Academy. And well, look, let's talk about the Academy. What were your big writing challenges before you joined the Academy?
3: Oh, gosh. Well, I think I suffered probably from a lack of confidence, really, and a, a lack of commitment. I had lots of writing, lots of work, but I didn't kind of really know what to do with it. Um you know, it, it, and, and ideas just going round in my head and, and no sort of plan or no um, sort of view as to what was to come next, really. So um, I probably wasn't taking my writing very seriously. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, I needed a focus. I needed I needed somewhere to go with it. It was either a case of do something with it or, you know, walk away.
1: Really? Okay. Okay. And, and how would you say the Academy has helped you as a writer?
3: Well, I think it's, it's done, I mean, it's great one for encouraging regular writing habits. So mm-hmm. it gave me that focus. It gives you um, a point of reference, really. It gives you a, a something to, to look at and say, here, this is what you're part of. This is what you've got to work towards. The, these are people that are in the same position as you. Right. And um, I think also the fact that it's got a lot of good resources on the website and you can go into the courses, check them repeatedly so anytime you're stuck there's always an answer somewhere to be found um i think um also there's a great sense of community really with all the other people or the other academates they've got you know such a, a wealth of experience and ideas and and they're in the same boat as as I am more yeah. or less well everybody's on a different level naturally but you know their stories are inspirational and and you feel great when they succeed at something and you yeah. think oh, it could be me next you know so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's just encouraging to be part of that community really no, and as everybody always says um, you know writing can be a lonely business so um it's nice to have have the team on site with you, as if you want to sort of think of it like that.
1: Fantastic! And do you have a favourite part of the academy? You mentioned the courses. You mentioned the community. Is is there a favourite part that you come back to?
3: Um, well, I would have to say, without a doubt, it's the um, monthly um, Zoom workshops that you cool. and, and Mark do. I mean, they're just they're just so inspirational, really. I think the pair of you are so. I mean, closure is you know don't it comes. <laughs>
0: We'll because cut this afraid. bit, don't worry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the pair of you are so enthusiastic and so genuinely um, really interested in, in what you're doing and helping people. And and you two seem to have so much fun doing it. So how could you know everybody not fail to, to get wrapped up in all of that as well, really? Not so either. definitely I would say um, it, it's nice to feel part of that and, and nice to have that in your diary and something to look forward to. Um, yeah, and uh, I think if one thing, I one of my sort of aims is to uh, get my book onto your shelves, Mark. So. Yes, so over there, there's a space.
1: I'm waiting for yes. it. Wendy. So tell us, tell us what are what are you working on? Pitch yourself, pitch your new project. What's 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 coming from Wendy?
3: Um, well, I've been working on a, a three book series. Really, it's um, a kind of urban fantasy stroke contemporary romance if you like it's about yes. um an alien shapeshifter who um comes to earth on a mission to help save her planet as they always are <laughs> save her race from extinction and of course um she's a, a shapeshifter so she can change her appearance to be whatever she wants she falls in love with our male hero and uh, it, it's a kind of story about um appearances and how we judge people on their appearances. And, and when he, when she eventually confesses to him, how does he feel? Does he feel betrayed and, and you know, that she's not the person he thought she was, apart from obviously being gobsmacked that she's an alien? You know, that's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that doesn't count. happen to you every week, Wendy. I mean, you know, I'm constantly <laughs> bumping it. It's like men in black around That sounds absolutely brilliant. Wendy, thank you so much for
0: speaking to us, and, and I'll see you at the next Craft Coaching.
3: Great, Mark. Thank you
0: for talking to me. Fantastic. And uh, if uh, what Wendy's been talking about excites you, then pop along and find out more about the Academy, academy academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Now, Mark, tell us about what's happening on the socials and wins this week. We've got some great stuff. We've got people publishing novels, which is wonderful, which is what this podcast
1: is all about. Taking people who've listened to the podcast, getting their words out there. And we had a lovely note from E.J. Towler, who says, my second novel is up on Amazon, Release date January 9th, 2023. So it's coming soon. It's available for pre-order. It's called One Little Lie by E.J. Towler. And oh, this is is a saucy one as well. So uh, the premise is, what if you discovered the man you trusted above all others has a secret life? attorney jd ellis's world begins an inward spiral when her fiance is arrested for murder and his secret life as a bdsm master is revealed fantastic stuff (laughs) brilliant good luck with that ej Tallot. fantastic got everything crossed for that ross james got in touch as well at the other end of the spectrum release, uh, Ross says, Hello, experiments I've gone and dabbled in a new genre and written a children's picture book. I'm making it a free download on the mighty Amazon tomorrow, and I'd be delighted if you availed yourself of a copy. Enjoy. It's called The Giants of South Georgia. It's Ross James uh, with Olga Volgina uh, illustrating. It looks absolutely beautiful. It's a rhyming children's story about the heroes of our planet. I'll put a link in the show notes to both of these so you can check those both out. And... Not exactly a win, um, but we had a note from Thomas Dunn, who's one of our people doing 200 words a day, hashtag 200 words a day, Tom, uh, who's at Tommy Dunn author on Twitter. Thomas said, I need to post something else except my word count each night. Will my scary eyes do after my heart attack and two cardiac arrests? Wish a kid could have kept them for Halloween. And Thomas has put a, a picture up on Twitter of his uh, bloodshot eyes. Thomas, Thomas man. Unbelievable. Um, Wow. I mean, we were talking about, you know, close calls earlier. Uh, got everything crossed for you, Thomas. Hope you're getting, yeah. you know, the best care and attention and hope you're on the road to a full recovery soon. Uh, our absolutely. best wishes to
0: you and yours, man. Yeah, absolutely, Thomas. You know, our heart goes out to you, but thank you for sharing that with us as well. And uh, to everyone else out there who's uh, who's in hospital, maybe <laughs> listening to this podcast or going through hard times, we are with you all the way and we send you yeah. our love and best wishes right so folks if you want to get in touch uh, we're on social media
1: uh drop us a line uh facebook is bestseller experiment twitter and instagram is at bestseller xp and if you pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com, there is a contact tab there you can email us there
0: absolutely and don't forget the bestseller experiment newsletter our weekly newsletter by email if you'd like to find out what's coming up what you may have missed And all kinds of interesting things, pop along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter tab. And whilst you're there, if you want to drop us a note, you can just click on the contact button. Tell us about how the podcast is helping you. Uh, Tell us a fun story. Tell us about a new book you've got coming out. We'd love to find out more. And also, folks, remember, if you want to get the habit of writing for a lifetime, the 200 Word Challenge is for you. It's 200wordchallenge.com. Try it and see if you can get a five-day writing streak, a seven-day writing streak. See where that might lead you with your writing. Uh, let's say we haven't worn the mark. You know, <laughs> we've heard some incredible stories. So do do go and try that out. But, folks, thank you so much um, again to Ed McDonald for coming on the show again um, and for all mm. of your wonderful emails and inspiration and all the words that you're going to be sharing with people if you will tell them about this podcast as well because if you know someone that might benefit from hearing today's show in particular please do you know forward it on yeah, to them gosh. we'd really really appreciate that so mr stay best of luck with your uh, your comic launch Thank and you. all of that i hope that goes really well and i'm really looking forward to chatting with you again this time next week so it's so a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>